I want everyone to know my birthday is December 26th, so I know the definition of anticlimactic. So, <laughs> Jesus' birthday, my birthday. Robert, I just want to say we love you, man. And in a lot of ways, for me, this is your day, man. So thank you so much for everything you do, man. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about security. We're going to talk about security, having real security. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for just what went on here during the Easter season, Lord. It was just great service and great times with the family here, back to back to back. Lord, we thank you for the 24-hour prayer chain. Lord, we just thank you that you heard us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for... uh, your amazing grace that we just got to see on Good Friday and Easter, Lord. We thank you for everyone who had a part in those, Lord. It's just been amazing around here. I just thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the, all the words from, from the Bible. Thank you for the music. And Lord, as we jump back into the, into our series, into our study in Hebrews, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, Lord. Pray that you would change us according to your will and you would help us, uh, to hear you speak, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Golden Gate Bridge was built. Story you guys might not know too much of, might not know too much about it is 23 men fell to their death in making the Golden Gate Bridge. Isn't that a lot of people? Um, in the final part of the project, after number 23 uh, <laughs> fell, they decided to have a safety net. They decided to have a safety net. I would have did it sooner, but they decided to have a safety net. Now, after this safety net, they found out that 25% more work was able to be done. Same guys working, but so much more work was able to be done. You might say, well, why? And they did ask the people why. They asked the men why. Why is it everything's coming along so much faster and smoother? And they said, We've seen 10 other guys fall, but they were caught by this net that you all built. And because of that security, we're able to work a lot harder. And so that's part of my goal today, and I feel like that's part of what the word is trying to say here. Is that God wants us to be secure so that we would work, so that we can do great work. There's something magical and almost mystical about security. There's something about being sure and having assurance. When we moved into our first home, uh, it was a pretty rough neighborhood. So one of the first things we did, we got a security system. Anything that opened in the house, refrigerator, window, door, beep, beep, beep. So we knew everything. We knew if I was trying to sneak some Oreos, everything was secure. And so what that did is that allowed us to sleep well. Because anything that would happen, we'd get that beep beep that we could be alerted to, right? So we slept like babies. I remember when the Chicago Bulls were run by Michael Jordan. And the, that almost got a clap, that's so funny. People <laughs> were like, yeah. Now, what was so secure about that time is you could be watching the game with someone who was a fan of the other team. And your team, the Bulls, could be losing by 10 with like three minutes left, and you still were boasting and bragging because you knew at the end you were sure that your team was going to win. Isn't that amazing? 
I forgot what that feeling's like, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't remember that anymore. There's something almost invincible about when you know you're secure, when you know that you are assured. When we're in a relationship and we feel, we feel secure in how the feelings are going, there's some real comfort in that. Uh, our first slide is a quote. This is even proven by the medical field. Jaden, if you could get that slide up. I'll read it to you guys. It says, a basic uh, security is a basic value because it is an essential requirement or condition of a successful and fulfilling existence. It liberates people both physically and mentally to go on with the business of building their lives without undue fear of those around them. It is also peace of mind, liberation from the anxiety and apprehension associated with fear of those who are in a position to harm us. Even the health world has acknowledged that when people feel safe and secure, they actually are less sicker. Isn't that crazy? There's a holistic approach or feeling or mentality that it goes into security. People who are not secure perform with less success. Kids who are raised in unsafe places generally, generally can suffer from impairment or, or impaired development. Our passage today is about spiritual assurance. It's about insurance and our insurance, assurance of our faith. The Golden Gate Bridge workers were able to work harder and more and had a better quality when they were assured. And that's what we want to have happen for us today. It's no wonder that God has given us a Bible that's full of promises, right? Full of promises, full of assurances. Anybody ever done that Google search when you're feeling down and you look up all the promises of God or you have some devotion that has those? And man, those are amazing. God knows that he is the only one that can give us true security when it comes to our walk with him. Now, the Hebrew believers, they were going through some things. And they were feeling insecure. They were feeling not all there, not all safe. They had just left the old covenant, some of these believers. They left where they came from, what they believed, their spiritual uh, religion, the religion at that time. They were raised that way. And the Holy Spirit inspires the author of Hebrews to strengthen those believers with security, with assurance of their salvation. Because you know what happens sometimes is when we don't feel secure, we tend to go back to things we know. And sometimes those things we know are the things we knew before we knew God. And that's what these Hebrew believers were doing as well. They were going back to the old covenant. They were struggling because they broke away from Judaism. They were ostracized from their society. This is what everybody's doing. They're not doing that anymore. They were the term we would call excommunicated was unsynagogue. They were, they were out. They're done. You're out of here. They would lose a lot of relationships that they all knew. And a lot of us, we kind of know about this. When you became a follower of God, some of that stuff happened to you in, 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 a, in, a, in a similar way. Right? Different friends. It's hard to roll the same way that you used to. Uh, maybe ostracized. You got maybe excommunicated from that group of friends. You're no longer hanging with who you used to. 
So these experiences, they cause these believers to lean towards their old ways. And we tend to do the same thing. So the author of Hebrews says, leave it. You know, don't go back to those old patterns. He argues and shows the weakness. Throughout, he's been showing how all those things, when compared to Jesus, are seemingly weak. You know, the old sacrifices, they don't compare to Jesus. Talks about the priest. Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the angels. The author of Hebrews is constantly trying to show that Jesus Christ is better. That Jesus Christ is who we should turn to. We don't need to, he's telling them, they don't need to hang on to anything from before. And I believe that message is for us too. That we don't need to hang on from anything from before. The author of Hebrews, and notice that, and and I've said this before, a lot of times in Hebrews, they don't say where the scripture came from. It's almost as if the author wants just God himself to be speaking and get the author out the way. So it's almost like he's saying, uh, he's urging these believers to be this, to be secure in their relationship with Jesus. Let's turn to our scripture in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. And if we get that working, it'll be on the, it'll be on the screen because I underlined and highlighted some key words that we'll be using to explain the passage. It reads, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Big word that you got to see there is that word, beloved or beloved. You know, God used that word to describe his son. And he uses that word to describe the saints. Isn't that an amazing word? This is not, that word is not to unbelievers. Every time it's used in the New Testament or in the Bible, it's used for saints, for people who believe. God called Jesus beloved. And we have this privilege. Anybody remember the little song when you were younger? Jesus loves me, this I know. You ever notice how braggy that song is? Right? For the, why? For the Bible tells me so. It fits us, right? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And then it got a little attitude. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, right? You keep repeating it. Isn't that amazing? When you were a little kid, you sang it nice and loud. Some of us, we sing it anyway because it's in the morning. We don't know any other, any other church song before the shower hits, right? So we know that Jesus loves us. We know this. Yes, he loves us. Amen. He even calls us the same name he calls his very own son. Amen. Verse 9 also says, we feel sure. It says, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. That idea of the word sure there is, is a word that deals with like examination. Okay. It's a word that deals with, I've considered all the evidence, and this is my conclusion. Now, the evidence that they saw in these people was the evidence of their life. They had faith, they had hope, and they had love. These are the things that belong to salvation. What are those things that belong to salvation? What's the author talking about? He contrasts some of their 
previous behavior patterns with things that belong to salvation. Here are some. Before he talked about, and this was a couple weeks ago, so you might not remember. Before he talked about spiritual infancy, he's, he's uh, contrasting that with having faith in Jesus as God. External religion versus internal regeneration. Not of works, but grace. Not systems of sacrifice, but having sins taken away by the ultimate sacrifice. We can go on and on. You can say feasting rather than partaking, right? Tasting God's word rather than diving in. And so he's creating these different uh, contrasts. And I think one of the big ones I notice is if you think a lot of things in the Old Testament, we hear a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles. But we see in the New Testament that when Jesus saves somebody, every single person themselves is a miracle. Isn't that amazing? So those are the things that belong to salvation. And in verse 10 it says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. You see, God has certain attributes. And there's a great book called Knowledge of the Holy that every believer needs to, to read. I think it's under 100 pages. It goes through his attributes. And I looked at that book again. It's an amazing book. And one of the things it says is this. It says that God is immutable. And that word means he does not change. He does not change. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. God is sovereign. He has the power to rule. And he's faithful. He does what he says he will do. So God is not unjust. He sees, look what it says, so as to, as to overlook, he sees what they were doing. He sees them in their struggle. But he sees what they were trying to do, what they were doing. And he sees the things that they were doing in his name. You know, in a congregation, like in a group like this, you have a lot of people saying the same things, singing the same songs, right? So for us, it's kind of hard. We really can't figure that stuff out. But to an all-knowing God, he knows. He knows who's doing this for his name, and he knows who's just doing it for show. And so the same thing was going on with these Hebrews. If you look for that uh, idea of shown for his name, I think this is a very popular, I'm sorry, real uh, important phrase to look at. Because a lot of times when we do things, we kind of do things under our own efforts. Right? We, don't, we do not uh, focus on God sometimes first. So a lot of people, they, they know I do things at Chase School, and some people are like, wow, you've been there 19 years, and that's a long time, and it's a tough job, and all that's true. But I tell you what, I never fell in love with Chase. I fell in love with God, who told me to work in a public school, which ended up being Chase. So all the ministry and all the different things that God has for you to love and to do in his name, it all starts with being secure and loving him first. Loving him first. And that word serve there is the word used for deacon. So these people were serving the church. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 11. It says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. God desires that everyone come to the full assurance of hope. And one of the ways that this happens is we need to follow patterns 
of people who've had the assurance of hope. And he's going to give them an example in a minute. This idea of not be sluggish. Don't delay. Don't delay. Don't be lazy in this. We look now at the next couple verses, 13 through 15, and he's going to start talking about Abraham. Now, some of you all might be like, well, why does he choose, uh, why does he choose Abraham? Well, first we know he's the father of Judaism, right? He's the father of the faith that they came from. So this example is purposeful. Many times Judaism and what they just, what the Hebrews just came from lean towards works instead of faith. And now we have Abraham who's been an example of faith. Abraham's example was practical help to them. In Genesis 15, 6, J.D., you can move up one more. I got a visual for that. Genesis 15, 6 tells us, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Notice the order. He believed God, then it was imputed to him the righteousness of God. What were some of the things Abraham believed? And some of these are crazy. Well, we know at 75, what did he, what did he believe? God told him to go to an unknown place. And how do we know Abraham believed? He just went and did it. Some of you all stay in the seat for like an hour and you say, I'm not getting up. Right? You say, I'm good. Let me, give, me, give me five more minutes when you get up for bed, right? Now, this guy was in a location for 75 years. And God asked him to go somewhere where he did not know. And the Bible tells him he believed God and he went. He obeyed. Even though he didn't know where he was going. We know that Abraham had a shame. He, he didn't have any children of his own. And he believed against his shame that God would give him a son. We also know that Abraham believed God so much that he obeyed God even to the point of sacrificing his son. Almost sacrificing his son. He even considered that God would raise him from the dead. And Abraham's another good example for us and for those Hebrew believers to follow because he did show some flaws. He was relatable. He didn't do this per perfectly, but in the end, he did obey. So God gives us examples like this in his word. He uh, lets us learn in our own study. You know, when you hear those stories or um, when we teach Sunday school, we tell the kids, you're hearing this story not to just like collect stories, but because you're supposed to learn from these. Some of these you're supposed to be amazed by and supposed to do something to you. All these stories that you guys know that we learn here are supposed to do something to us. Abraham's life, it gives us an example of what simple obedience does. Simple obedience. When asked to leave, what does he do? He leaves. When I don't know if you guys ever caught this little nuance. When he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, you know what the next part says the next day? It says, rose up early in the morning. If there's any day to sleep in, <laughs> wouldn't that be the day? Like, give me some time on this. But it says he rose up early the next morning. Isn't that amazing? His faith, his faith was evident by what? His simple obedience. So the question is to the Hebrew believers, the question is to us, can we give our life to God? Can we take him at his word? Can he keep us? Abraham believed that. Is there security in God? Abraham believed that. There's examples in the Bible of others who believe that. The Bible says there is, and I'll show you what those are. And there's four reasons given in this passage as to why we should believe that. So let's read those. So I, I uh, didn't read 13 through 15. I'm going to read from 13 to 20, and then we're going to break that down. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, 
Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's four things here that tell us we can be secure in God. We can have security in God. Number one, it talks about his person, who God is himself. He had no one greater by whom to swear. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that there's nothing greater than God. There's no one greater. He made everything. He's the greatest. So he could not swear by anything greater. There isn't. That is why he makes the rules. He's the highest. Let me read this to you all. It says, God, God, by the very nature of his person, has no ability to contradict himself. See, when you're perfect, when you're set in who you are and you do not change, there's no contradiction. What he says happens. What he is is what it is. He has no capacity to lie. He is truth. The Hebrews were worried about letting go. But God promised them through his son that they could be saved. And this is not just anybody saying it. This isn't, this isn't me just saying it. This is God saying it. God said that. God showed them. God gave them something that they could be securing. The next thing is his purpose. His purpose. There was a very interesting custom in that day. Uh, during Abram's time and a little bit afterwards. When they had an oath or when they had an agreement... They would seal it in blood. So what they would do is they would take an animal and cut it and have part of the animal and the blood on this side and part on the other side. And the people who were in agreement, they walked through there together as a blood oath, as a blood agreement. And this was a covenant, and it was sealed with blood. And it could be about some type of trade or different things. But here's what's amazing about the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God makes with, with, with his son, Jesus. You know when God made his covenant with Abraham? Does anybody know what Abraham was doing at that time? He was sleeping. So, you know, normally it's the two walk through. But who walked through those two cut animals? God himself. So God's covenant to Abraham and to those Hebrew believers and to us is God making that covenant with himself. You guys want to know how I know that? Because my Old Testament professor in Bible college spent three weeks on this. <laughs> it's super important, guys. You need to re keep going into that. I can just touch on it. So God makes a covenant with himself for Abraham, for us, for those Hebrew believers. So because he makes a covenant with himself, what do we know? It's unconditional. 
is unconditional. There's no denying it. Basically, God was saying, Abraham, go to sleep while I make this covenant with myself. Right? God promised himself on behalf of what he purposed. That is what he would, that he would do what, he would, what he's going to do. Abraham really had nothing to do with it. He was just a vehicle or a tool. God sealed the covenant by himself. So the covenant wasn't really made between God and Abraham. It was between God and God for Abraham. So if our salvation and salvation was based on us or another person fulfilling that covenant, there could be a problem. You wouldn't feel totally secure. But because our salvation is purposed in God as a person and his purposes, and he doesn't lie, he doesn't change, there's total security there. You can know. You can know. The third thing is his pledge. You see, the word of God, just God speaking, should have been enough. But God actually went through this human uh, activity to have a, to, to pledge. And it's a little bit uh, confusing, but I'll just throw a little bit in there. And, of course, you can always ask questions afterwards. In the, in the Bible, it tells us that, you know, there's a pledge that when we became saved, or when you do become saved, that God gives us the Holy Spirit. That's like a deposit. It's like a pledge. Okay? And the way we know that is the Spirit is called the earnest of the Spirit. And that word earnest means pledge. Now, when you think about a pledge, you think about like an engagement ring. You're saying that you're going to get married. And the Holy Spirit is what that kind of is for us. That we know that when we go to heaven, there will be that marriage with our Savior. God guarantees it. See, there is a pledge. And lastly, it's his priest. Now, this character, Melchizedek, that comes up will be, will be further developed in the next chapter. So I'm not going to really develop it. But what I, what I want you to know is that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's in the order of Melchizedek, who we'll learn more about. See, Christ and the salvation that's in him, that can be an anchor for us. It can be something, what an anchor does, it, help, it helps things to stay stable. If it can be a stabilizer in our life. Before the priest would go into holy, holy once, once a year. Uh, but because of Jesus, Jesus was able to go. And then Jesus says, Jesus went to heaven into the holy of holies in a sense. And what did he do when he got there? He sat down. So there's an ultimate there. He's the ultimate priest. So our salvation is sealed in his person, in his priesthood his purpose, and in his pledge. So in closing, what, sh what shall we do? What can we do about this? I think one of the big things is to understand the truth of our lives. That we don't make this covenant go. That we don't make our salvation go. That we need to have faith in the person who has all the ability to guarantee that. To guarantee our salvation. I got a little story that might help. And it were, I thought about this when I was on a cruise with my kids. Uh, Justin was seven years old, and he said, uh, we were in the deep water, and he said, Papi, I can swim. And I'm like, we got a little two-foot pool at home. He think he can swim. I said, no, you can't swim, you can't swim. Anyway, he says, I can, let me go. You know, we're like in four or five feet. So I let him go, and he could swim. He just, I don't know how, he, he, he wasn't lying, right? <laughs> so I was thinking of this story. And it reminded me of, you ever been in a pool with a little kid? 
and you can stand up all the way through the pool. But for the little kid, it might as well be, what, 100 feet, right? Because they can't touch anywhere. Anything would be over their head, right? So you bring them in to maybe three feet, which this little kid might be over their head, and then you play around and you say, we're going to go deeper, deeper. And what happens to them? They get like more and more scared. They're like, whoa, we're going to four feet, then five feet. Some of you all couldn't stand in five feet, but for those who can't, then five feet, right? So then you're in five feet. And the kid gets more and more panicked. But what's the truth behind the situation all along? At any point in that pool, they would have been over their head. And I think that's the truth we need to recognize as followers of Jesus. That at any point in our walk, even when we think we're on top of the world, we are over our head. It's only the guarantee of what he does and he is willing to do in us that can give us security. God is never out of his debt. Any situation we go through, he's tall enough. He's tall enough. So when we're going through deeper things, just know to Put your trust in that guarantee. So church, let's trust God. We need to repent that we're not secure on our own. Our self-effort is not doing anything about our worries, our sins. It's just not. Be secure in your relationship with Jesus. Know that we have an anchor of hope. Who God is, his essence, his attributes, his nature. It lets us know that we can trust in him fully. So give him everything for real security. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for who you are, Lord. It's just so great to know that you love us and that you secure us by yourself, by your pledge, by who you are, by your purposes, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you. Help us to know where we stand and how much we need you. And God, we just thank you for our family here. And we pray that you would help us to help each other in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.